Next up on Talk Zone is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Are you concerned about your job? Concerned about losing it? Concerned about not having the tools needed to reinvent your career or to reposition yourself in the workplace? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, or even if you just want to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, then join the conversation right now on Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Now, here are your hosts, Charlie and Eva. Welcome, everyone. Another Monday. Another Monday. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and I am Charlie. And, of course, I would then be Eva. Exactly. So that was good. (laughs) Um, You know, I was just thinking about the commercial, and it has that part in there. Are you concerned about your job? Are you concerned about losing it? Right? mm -hmm. I'm just concerned about losing it. You know, not even just losing my job, but just, you know, losing it. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just it in general. In general, it's yeah. It's like when Clinton says it depends on what is is. You're saying you just don't want to lose it. Just don't want to lose it, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, the mission of Corporate Talk is to leave no stone unturned, to use our collaborative power to make a difference, even as one person. Correct. Um, you know, and I was looking over some previous notes um, earlier and I came across something that I just want to not repeat, but reshare with uh, with our listeners. Um, I quoted Mike Tyson, who once said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face real hard. You know, that has to be one of my favorite quotes. I've actually used that one, too. I might put that right out on Facebook today. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. And I say that because in the workplace... All you hear is fail to plan, plan to fail, fail to plan, plan to fail. Well, there's a million different sayings in the workplace, right? I mean, there's that's all the workplace ever is. When people don't know what to say, and since you can't swear in the workplace, you come up with a million of those different sayings. Right. And we're not talking apples to apples here. But uh, what happens is we get lost in the weeds of planning. And oh, okay. I sometimes... Planning can actually become a diversion. Absolutely, it can because you can you can plan until you never do anything. Right. It's almost like you know, if you really want to cut to the chase, lead with your face. Get <laughs> take the hit right away, um, and then react. Uh, so, in other words, I change my thinking from "just do it," which I love that phrase, mm-hmm. to "just do it today." Right. Yes. What are we going to do today? I say to the leaders, what is your plan for today? Not for the year, not for five years, for today. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe we'll we'll be more productive that way. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And how are you? Well, I'm great because you know that my workshop is coming up in Cincinnati. Yes. You know, starting February 4th. It's all about stage fright and learning how to speak up. And for the listeners that are in the Cincinnati area, it's all about practice. Because what happens is, you know, everybody thinks that that people that are good speakers just become good speakers out of the blue. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to get up and you have to practice. And so that's what the workshop's all about is like helping people dial down the fear and getting up and practicing in a fun place. You know, oftentimes we say we get to cheat because of the great guests we have. And we're we going to cheat, talk yeah. about our guest in one second. Yeah. Um, when it comes to your workshop, hmm. I can say I get to cheat because I always attend and I always learn and I I practice the tools that you teach. You sometimes practice the tools that I teach. Well, yeah. <laughs> but they work. They do work. Yeah. So um, I, what, that's what I like. Last week I had mentioned I had three books on my lap, um, and I always keep track of your tools as well to dial down the anxiety. Yep. Um, and I they think they work. I think they're very important. Before we go, can you just share one? Well, you know, I love emotional freedom technique, right? AKA tapping. Mm. And so, you know, it's it's hard to go through tapping, you know, in just a couple seconds, right? So 
um, you can actually go to the replay where we talked about tapping a little bit and how to dial down the fear response for stage fright. And you can see that on our replays on TalkZone.com under the business channel Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva. Excellent. In fact, replays for all shows are available 7 by 24. And don't forget that we've got the phone app too. Free. Right. Um, we take pride in the content we bring to the air. Yes, we do. And we also take pride in the fact that we have met all of our guests. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not to say there's an exception here or an exception there, but our MO is to try to meet every single guest that we bring to the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and today is no exception. And today, the content is very different, very unique, it very serious. Very. Um, and I'm kind of, I don't want to say excited, but uh, I think we can learn from it together. Well, we absolutely can learn from it because, um, you know, when we met Diana, Diana, we were really impressed with just her honesty and her bravery and talking about a really difficult subject. I mean, she just talks about it, which was what needs to be done. Right. So, I mean, I just want to say it's not our comfort zone or our knowledge base. So we will defer to our guests for most of the content. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to introduce our special guest, Diana Bonney, health advocate. Diana, are you with us? I'm with you. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Diana. Welcome to Hi. Corporate Talk. Thanks for being patient. Um sure. So, did I get that right, health advocate? Health advocate. That's part of what I do. Yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to put a, a label on something like this. Is that, you know, you guys kind of know my story. But health advocate, someone called me a healing doula. I thought that was kind of apt. Because um, mm. I'm, you know, I'm not a therapist. I'm someone who's lived through this experience, and I'm trying to share it and create conversation and create healing for people because it is so stigmatized and, and you know, enshrouded with fear. So, yes. Very, very much so. So maybe um, share with us may, uh, your contact information, if you would like, and then you can tell us a little bit more about you. Sure. Uh, well, the website is livingonthefaultlines.com. That's where people can find me and my work and my blog and everything there. And let's see. My, I'll give you my story, sort of the, the short version for your guests. And I'm it's such an honor to be on here with you. I was so glad that we had a chance to meet in New York. Um, I, four, let's see, four years ago in August, I was living that pretty shiny life on the outside. And on the inside, it wasn't so great because my husband had a drinking problem. And I thought that that was our problem. And as a mother of three kids was really trying to figure out how to make the family stay together and all of these different factors. When one night I got a phone call that um, my husband actually was living another life to what we were living, and in the space of 10 days, our whole world kind of unraveled with the discovery of a double life and women and everything, and culminated in him taking his life. Hey, um, hey, hey. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you, you said a lot there, and um, of course, we're sorry that you had to go through that. Um, just a question, do you feel that a lot of what happened was enabled by the drinking, or do you think it was just a separate thing? I, I think it was part and parcel of it. Um, and that, you know, I think I was focused on the drinking as being our problem, but it, it was certainly one of many facets in that mm. lifestyle uh, you know, that contributed to things, Charlie, for sure. But, man, it, so it, everything seemed to mushroom and happen so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the true time to know when you're being tested, right? Well, the quote you said at the beginning of your show, everyone has a plan until they're punched in the face is, is very you know appropriate for this. I mean, you something like this happens and nobody really can ever be prepared for the aftermath of a suicide because it is so fraught with so many different things. And, um, you know, I think the best we can do is start talking about this epidemic that's going on in our world uh, with compassion and 
you know, really kind of stepping into it rather than constantly running away from it with fear, which is what people tend to do. So when when this happened, and I mean, here you are, you had um, you have three children, and you didn't know about your husband's double life, and you find out all of this, which is devastating enough, and then your husband takes his life and just leaves you with the aftermath of all this cleanup. Um, what did you find helped you the most during that time? Like, how did you start pulling it together? Because actually, four years isn't very long, and it just seems like you were able to kind of come out of this, but I wonder how you did that and, and what helped you in the beginning to start, you know, putting your life back together. Mm. Well, I think what really kind of set it off for me was a very fortuitous meeting with a guy about a week or two after my husband died. And he was a man that I didn't know well. He was an acquaintance. Um, we ran into each other at the bank. And he, he had heard what had happened, so he offered to take me out to coffee and talk. And then um, I, you know, told him the, the tale of, of what had happened. And then, you know, he looked at me and said, you know, Diane, I've never told anyone this before, but my dad actually committed suicide when I was 13. And his eyes got all misty, and, and, he, and he, you know, struggled for a few moments, and then he said, and my mom forbade me from ever talking about it or him again. And then wow. he literally, literally collapsed onto me. And it was one of those moments where... I just had this kind of vision into the future of what my kids' lives could be if I didn't do things differently, you know, if I didn't start talking about it and create some kind of conversation with them that this guy, and as I was holding him, I mean, you could feel the pain of his 13-year-old boy just sitting between us as raw as it was the day it happened. And I really just genuinely didn't want that to be my children. And it became kind of a mission for me to, to just start exploring this with, um, you know, being vulnerable, being willing to step in and surrender to everything that had happened. And as I moved along, what I found was that I have met that man over and over and over again. I mean, even in New York, where we met, you know, there were mm. tons of people at that um, summit who had had the same experience. You know, their father, their mother's brother committed suicide, and no one in the family talked about it. So it just kept getting reaffirmed for me that I, you know, maybe had had some work in the world to do. And so I did start talking about it, and I started writing my blog. And how I got through it, your question, was through a variety of things, like EFT, which is one of my favorite techniques, Um, you know, meditation. My blog is, my kids fondly call me spiritual woo-woo, but it's, you know, the combination of, of acceptance and embracing reality combined with things like meditation and tapping and breath work and really tuning into yourself in this healing process and honoring who you are. Because unfortunately, in the aftermath of suicide, what tends to happen to a lot of these people is you know, they get swept up in the shame and the, you know, the humiliation and, and all the things that people, other people think about suicide. And so they kind of get left behind and just folded back into this dark, isolated place. And what I'm trying to do is shine a light on that for people like my children and bring resources to them so that they have the permission to heal. Wow. Yeah, that's terrific. And how old were your children at the time? Um, young and, at, you know, sort of critical ages, 12, 15, and 16. So just my youngest was two weeks away from turning 13, just like the, the man that I met. And, you know, really critical ages of in terms of development and everything. So it was it's it was a really daunting um, road to look out across for me. But the, the great thing is now looking back with them four years ago, I think I asked them over the summer what helped. And they all said, you know, the fact that you let us talk about it, the fact that you didn't judge, you know, our emotions, the fact that we just, you know, they, they can talk about their father with compassion now and they understand, you know, most of what, what happened. There's still going to be lots of things that you know, they're going to process, but... Um, they have a healthy attitude about it. Wow. That's terrific. And I mean, that is just, um, it just shows all the work that you've done to help them to get through that. That's amazing. Yeah. And so let's pick up on that. We're about to take our first break. So when we come back, we'll talk about that um, piece a little bit more. Um, Please stay with us, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and we'll be right back.
CARE Certification in the Workplace is the award-winning shared leadership training seminar that will revolutionize your career and position you as the go-to person in your organization, regardless of your job description. CARE is the acronym for Courage to Take Action Relevant to Everyone. This means your new workplace mission is to deliver results for the good of the company, but not at the expense of others. Up until now, CARE certification was only available through company-sponsored seminars. But now you can become CARE certified in the workplace on your own time. Order Module 1 today and begin the transformation. There's unlimited opportunity in the workplace today, provided you have the right strategy. Becoming CARE certified is the right strategy. For more information and to order, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. And now, let's return to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and our guest today is Diane Ovani. Her website is livingonthefaultlines.com, and we're discussing parental suicide. And Diana, before the break, we were talking about your children that were um, 12, 15, and 16 at the time of your husband's passing. And... You know, I mean, it, there's so much there that must have been weighing on their minds. Because first of all, you know, if their father was an alcoholic, that must have been just a, a really tough household to live in, which alcoholism is never anything easy to deal with. And then to find out about all this that happened with their father and then having their father, you know, cut out by taking his own life, which, I mean, he must have, you know, been so troubled and in so much pain as well. And so... How how were you able to, I mean, I know it's one thing to talk about it, but how were you able to start moving in a direction that was beyond talking, that was starting to move into healing with them? Because sometimes the talking is good to let it all out, but yet it doesn't always necessarily um, result in healing. And how were you able to work through that with them? Well, yeah, you're right. I, I think talking um, talking to the beginning, you know, creating the conversation. And I think what it probably boiled down to more than, than actual talk was that they knew there was the faith there. You know, I, I sort of told them right from the get-go that I didn't have the answers to everything, but, I, you know, that I didn't understand everything, you know, that their father had done. Um, I didn't demonize him. You know, we, we talked about the things he did um, without sort of me making him the bad guy, which I think was very helpful. Um, and I think just creating that space where they could express their emotions and they weren't always pretty and attractive, you know, kids, particularly that age, there's all kinds of things that come up. And just allowing that um, for them really gave them the ability to talk about it comfortably. And if you met them today, I mean, people meet them, you wouldn't know, you know, that this had happened to them unless, you know, it came up in the conversation and they would be able to dialogue with you very comfortably about their father. And, you know, there's a sense of humor there. There's compassion. There's, you know, a lot of different things. And I don't kid myself that, you know, they're, they're still working through these things because they're all going mm-hmm. through these milestones, you know, and things are happening that I'm sure in their minds, you know, there, there's always that, piece of, you know, my dad's not here, or I wonder what my dad would have done, or, you know, those kinds of things that come up. But I think it really was um, allowing that space to, to be there. And when they, you know, asked me questions, I would answer as honestly as I could, didn't always have the answers, and, you know, tried to just let them know that it was okay to ask, which I think a lot of times with the suicide stuff, people are so afraid of it that they just put it away in a box, and we fold up the person as though they never existed, and we shove it under some carpet or, you know, into a closet where nobody discusses it. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I think that's what it really came down to. And what I find amazing, though, too, is that you were able to dialogue with them. Did you find that in the beginning um, that you had a lot of anger towards your husband when it when it first happened? And, and how, if so, how were you able to kind of move past that in order to be able to talk about it without making your husband out to be a bad guy? I think, you know, the anger was kind of an interesting thing for me. It didn't surface for quite some time. I had so much to deal with because of, um, I mean, I had six attorneys to, ha- to handle all of the things that were left behind for me to handle. So really, I was operating more from a place of just terror, terror and fear. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there, there were things popping out of the woodwork and there was financial issues and 
different things. So for me, the anger didn't really um, surface. Uh, I know this may sound strange, but it was probably a couple years before I really, you know, sat back and kind of gave myself permission to go there. And I think what was happening for me in between time was the writing. I had started writing my blog and writing about the things I was doing and letting a lot of that out there, you know, really processing a lot of what had happened through writing. And that I I would recommend to anybody, you know, to to go to the page is a really different experience to, you know, talking to somebody uh, face-to-face or going to a therapist. When you're writing about something and really allowing your feelings to come up, there's just a... um, I don't know, things just get transmuted and and transformed all the time. But uh, the anger, ultimately for me, I think, you know, I dealt with through tapping, through being okay with it, learning how. I I grew up in a household where anger was not okay. So I didn't have really a good uh, foundation in in being okay with feeling angry. And I think that's probably why it took me so long to actually get there, even though I had a lot of, you know, there were a lot of reasons to be angry. And when I finally just, embraced it and acknowledged that, you know, that was it. it. It came out and there were some really ugly times for me, for you know, just sort of on the floor crying or, you know, whatever it was, but I tried to just learn to express it and be true to it. That's great. And that's amazing. And I, and I agree with you on the writing. I think there's nothing more powerful than when you write and you let all your emotion out. And what I'm also wondering is when did you decide to start putting your writing on the blog? I started the blog, uh, I think it was two, about two years after everything had happened. And I had started writing People kept saying to me, because it was so crazy, I mean, the 10-day period was, could be a movie, and I, everybody was saying, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. So I started writing and just writing it down and, you know, eventually started, you know, sort of putting it into a book format. And then the blog came into to formation as kind of not so much the story but the healing part of it and, you know, what I was doing. And I would meet people who had gone through this who had never heard of tapping or never heard of, you know, thinking about doing meditation or these different things. So it was kind of born out of that. And then, you know, the stories, I mean, a lot of my stories woven into the blog post. It isn't just, you know, a how-to. I share a lot of the journey with, with people there as well. And that, that's been helpful as too, I mean, as well. And how was the blog received when you started posting? I mean, when did it start, you know, getting some legs on it that people were starting to read it? I was kind of surprised by um you know, by it. I mean, I had, oddly enough, I had never literally read a blog before I wrote my blog. I didn't really even understand what they were. And so it was very scary. I mean, the first time they posted my picture, you know, my computer people, I made them take it down for a couple of days because it was so vulnerable. And, and then, you know, we posted things. And But honestly, I mean, it, I really got traction pretty quickly. Um, I also have, I'm dealing with, you know, another element here of, of blame and so part of what we were up against with the blog was um, respond, not responding to, but there was kind of an, this element out there on the Internet of information about me that was um, misinformed and sort of misleading. So I think a lot of my fuel came from wanting to write that to a certain degree. And I didn't write to write against the other information so much, but it was certainly inspired by that, which helped a lot to, you know, I think the consistency, writing three times a week, 500 words will get you somewhere. You know, whenever people ask me, how do you, how do you do that? What, what, what got you? I mean, when you write 1,500 words a week, it's going to go somewhere eventually. And it seems like that was the way for you to keep your eye on the ball. And the ball was maybe uh, recover and grow stronger, right? Um, mm. Because one thing you don't need is another diversion, and uh, this was a way for you to really stay disciplined. It must have been a real challenge. It was. Uh, you know, it really was. But I think there is something to be said for that fierce maternal nature that mothers can muster, you know, whether it's lifting a car off their children or trying to make something like this um, it's not that you can never make it right, but, you know, trying to take something like this and transform it into something that your children can go forward with and have a better legacy, um, that has always been really, you know, for me, the fertile compost underneath all of this. is. Well, you know, you stand- know, when go we ahead. talk about making a difference even as one person, man, I mean, this is truly 
um, a story of that. And um, I get a sense that everything you have done was self-taught while you were, you know, on the canvas trying to pick yourself up. So I'm um, just wondering where is your support and whose shoulders are there for you to help you recover stronger as well? Well, I've been fortunate to find, you know, I have a community of really wonderful friends who've been very supportive from the get-go. And I had a great therapist who was, who was very helpful in, you know, dismantling a lot of this. And a really strong family. I mean, I leaned a lot on my children. You know, they, they've been incredibly supportive and really, are really, you know, proud of what I'm doing. Um, and then my brother and my father, I mean, I just, I, my mother, unfortunately, my mother, during all of this, my mother passed away of cancer about 10 months after all this happened. And we had a really, um, sort of, we always had a very tumultuous relationship. And so during those last 10 months, she was able to kind of support me and be there in a way she never really had before. And that was also incredibly healing, you know, to this whole process. Um, but I think it's important for people, particularly with suicide, to really reach out and find some sort of community because it can be very isolating. And a lot of times people just fold back into thinking that no one cares or, you know, that people won't understand. And I do think it's important to find that network. It's exactly what I was thinking, right? It's not only that, uh, it's that people won't understand. Right, but the problem is, is that even though it can be so isolating, everybody knows somebody that's had this happen. You know, if it hasn't happened to them, it's happened to someone else. And so it's so important to keep that dialogue going. So, you know, you writing that blog was extremely brave. And then to go out there and get criticized about it as well and, and still keep going with it is extremely brave. But then to turn around and now become a healing advocate for other people is just an amazing piece of it too. And we have about a minute before we go to break, but can you talk a little bit about when it started to turn around and that it wasn't just a blog, but that you were actually starting to reach out and help other people get through this? I, th I mean, I think it was meant you know, to be that from the get-go. I, I wanted to mm -hmm. be able to share with people and you know, not have it, have it be so much about me. And in the beginning it was, because it was very much my story and I've tried to transition it. But it happened fairly quickly where I realized I started getting emails from people and, you know, understood that it was touching people in a, in a way that I really couldn't have imagined. Um, and that's definitely been rewarding and healing for me, you know, and kept me going on this journey to know that people are reading it and, and that it's making a difference out there. Uh, very helpful. Wow. Yeah, that's terrific because, I mean, it's one thing to go through your own healing, but then to reach out and start helping others, I think that can be that in and of itself can be healing as well. So I think it's just it's just an amazing story that you were able to heal yourself, help your family heal, and now you're helping um, to like heal a one others. one-man army. I know. So we'll be talking about that a little bit more, but we're about to go to our second break. So stay with us, everyone. Our guest today is Diane Obani, and we will be right back. Charlie Labosco is an author, speaker, and trainer with over 40 years experience in the corporate workplace. Contact Charlie today to interact, influence, and inspire others in your organization. Whether it's a one-hour keynote presentation or a five-day training seminar, Charlie is available to speak on many topics, including making a difference in the workplace, even as one person, building shared leadership teams, and his signature award-winning seminar, Care Certification in the Workplace. Charlie speaking at your organization will make a difference on day one. For more information and to book Charlie, go to charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Let's get back to Charlie and Eva for more corporate talk on TalkZone. Welcome back, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva and our special guest, Diana Bonney. Um, Diana has transitioned her life into what we now know as a healing advocate um, after overcoming many things, um, including parental suicide and helping her children as well. I mean, uh, I stumble here 
because it's such a unbelievable story and the strength that you managed to muster along the way is very inspiring. Um, when you started to transition to a healing advocate, I mean, I guess that's where you heard the Rocky music in your head because you kept meeting that person that had experienced something like this as well. And you basically said to yourself, okay, enough already. I need to start reaching out and helping others. Um, and you have to wonder where that comes from, right? I mean, that's something that people would be an exception for without the trauma, mm -hmm. right? To have to go through what you went through and still be willing to help is just unbelievable. Um, so I guess we'd like to know a little bit about that transition and, you know, how do people reach you? Do they find you on your website, through your blog? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the blog is, is probably the livingonthesaltlines.com is the best place to start. And, I, you know, it is interesting. I, I wish that I could say there was a definitive moment. I, I laugh sometimes when I'm out meeting people and, you know, they'll ask me this question of why did you decide to do this or how did this come about? And it, it was very organic and really, I think, driven largely by wanting to leave a better legacy for my own kids. And what I found was I, I became so incredibly curious and fascinated by the responses that I would get, you know, when I'd be out meeting people and there would be the people who would lean in and there would be the people who would step away. And, and, and it, it just created this kind of um, drive to know more about, about suicide and about what was, what's going on out there. And, you know, there's a, a mighty silence about it. And I think when Robin Williams died, you know, it, it sort of punctured the, the bubble a bit, and I'm hoping that the conversation will continue to, you know, to go along because, as you said earlier, that everybody knows somebody who's committed suicide or you know somebody who knows somebody. And I think people would be quite amazed in their daily journeys, whether it's the supermarket or, you know, just out and about, at the number of people who, who are thinking about taking their lives, who are, you know, have experienced a, a suicide loss, and I, for me, I think it just became kind of this intriguing question of why aren't people talking about it? And I do understand, you know, being in it, the discomfort of it. I do understand because, you know, with, with suicide, it's not like murder or disease where you have a villain, per se, because, you know, you, we, can, we can blame the disease, we can blame the murderer. With suicide, there's nowhere to place that anger and that blame, which we have a tendency to want to do. So people end up kind of bumpered between, you know, was there something I did to cause this? Was there something I should have done to stop it? And so it all gets swept into a, a big silence. And I think for me, I really want to open that silence up for people because it's a, it's a really, it's a wicked thing to try and survive. It's very, very um, soul-wrenching, you know, to, to go through it as a human, but then to also ha have three people that you're shepherding through it. And I really, you know, don't, if I can create space for other people so they don't have to try and find their way through it the way that I did without a map and blindly, you know, going down this path and that path, um, then, you know, at least something good will come out of something that was terribly, terribly painful. And, um, you know, hopefully my children 20, 30 years from now will have a very healthy attitude and be able to, you know, pay it forward in that way as well. Um, no, I think it's unbelievable. Um, and I was also thinking while you were just sharing those thoughts that the communication needs to work all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe that can help prior, right? I mean, uh, I guess at the end of the day, we need to communicate better, right? Right. Well, I and and yeah. I think that yeah. people tend to even hide their pain and, and, and their fear. And so, you know, when the communication lines are open, I mean, the legacy that you've left for your children is that 
A, they've been able to handle the loss of their father, you know, even though they're still, of course, still processing it and will keep processing it. But at least that communication is open so that the legacy um, has changed. And it's also um, it's the way you approach it helps other people to open up to talk about it, because I think many times people do tend to clam up about it because they maybe don't want to talk about it. Um, like you had said earlier, there must be some shame around it. And when that shame gets the better of people, they probably don't really want to reveal. So you've given them that safe place because you know it, you've been through it for them to be able to discuss. And not it. only that, like Diana said, uh, there was no template to follow, no best practice, just find no. a way. Yeah. And now she can provide that for others. Mm-hmm. Right. So I know we, um, God, you know, we can talk about this. It's just an unbelievable story. And by the way, down the road or whenever you feel, if you want to come back, if you want to bring your family, just let us know. Um, We would love it. Um, But I'd like to know about what you're doing now, right? We know there's a book in the works. Can you tell us about that? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks for that offer. Very kind of you. Uh, yes, there, well, there's a, it's actually kind of turned into two books. You know, I, I, the book that I started writing was the memoir. It was the story of what happened and all of that. And what I really came to realize over the last few months, I, I came to the end of it, um, as it were for now, and realized that the story needs to percolate a little bit. You know, it's only been four years, and there's still um, just a lot of understandings and revelations that I'm still coming to. And so what I did would start writing a book that is more of a practical, you know, I'm not going to say a handbook because you really, there's no, there's no handbook one could apply to this and every situation is different, but just something that is much more, um, you know, not so that people don't have to learn through my story per se. They can go to this and it, it, you know, I talk about suicide in a very different way to the, you know, what most people are talking about it. And what I really want to do is give people permission to, you know, to heal themselves, permission to talk about it if, if they, so be it, or, you know, I've had people who've never heard of tapping or they never thought about writing about it and different things. So um, so the book is really more of a, a practical handbook to, you know, what happens if you find yourself in this um, aftermath and how do you go forward and talk to your children and what are some practices that you can do and different things. So there's programs for kids. For instance, there's a Section 504 that you could get if your children are in school, which a lot of people don't know about, for grief and different things like that. So that's the, that's part of where I am, and then I'm working with people individually and just starting to go out and, and try to speak. I would love to do some speaking and workshops and, you know, start connecting the dots in the community of people out there who've been coming to my blog for the last couple of years, but I haven't had a, you know, way to interact with them yet. So I'm just in the process of putting all that together this year. You know, I, I get the, the impression just listening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you say, well, you know, I have this book called memoir it's pretty much done but it's you know what it's not the right thing to put out it needs to percolate a little more um and i would have preferred something to really help others with on a regular basis sort of like like uh, as a reference would be like a handbook not a handbook but like a handbook i you know that is truly proving the mission right it's not just out there here's a book right no, I'm pulling mm-hmm. this back. I want to do this first because this will have more of an impact for others. Right. I mean, it really is. Uh, I get it, right? And I get your authenticity and that you do have a mission and you are the real deal. Um, and it does come out. And I think if you were to speak or when you speak, others would feel the same way. And, um, you know, I think you're only scratching the surface of all of the people you're going to help. So there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I really I appreciate that a lot. I think I think unfortunately the the suicide epidemic is well maybe not unfortunately, but I do to me it it, hold, it holds a much greater meaning than just people taking their lives you know randomly. I really think it's a reflection into our society and it's asking us to dig deeper and you know think about how we engage and interact with ourselves, with our families, with the people around us. And how can we do that better? You know, why are 12-year-olds taking their lives? I don't think I knew, I mean, anybody when I was 12 who took their life. You know, it's, it's, it's happening at a, at a rapid rate. And what are, what are we doing as a, as a society to contribute to that? And how can we change that going forward? 
is really what I see, you know, in the mirror of this epidemic. So. Um, yeah, I'm torn here, right? I'm, I'm in uncharted waters, right, Eva? Sort of like this topic has me consumed, and it really is um, a serious issue. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking for me it's easier or more positive to focus on what Diana is doing to help that rather than just dwell on, wow, this is such a huge problem, which I know it is. Right. Well, and I, we've said it so many times during the show today, but I'll say it again. It's, you know, when we talk about having those communication lines open, it doesn't only help the people that have already experienced it. It helps those other people like you were just discussing, Diana, that are thinking about it. Because once you start opening the lines of communication and you can see that there's healing, all of these modalities that you've been using to heal yourself, you know, tapping, writing, meditating can help people that are in so much turmoil that they don't know where to turn, where they feel that there's no help. Um, it opens up those lines of communication as well and gives them a voice and gives them um, a place yeah. to and tools to use to help them start healing too before they feel that there's nothing left and that there is no other option. Yep, sort yeah. of like a shoulder. It's a shoulder, yeah. And sometimes you have to be your own guru, like what you found, Diana. Um, you used a lot of different people, but yet it's when you do your own healing and your own inner work and you are able to sit with yourself in silence and then write out what you're really feeling and post that so bravely, that's when the really, real healing starts to happen is when you start letting all that out and there's nothing left to hide. There's there's no front that you have to put up because you've put it all out there. No, amen, uh, amen to that, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I say, you know, living on, by the way, the website is Living on the Fault Lines. Um, and is that where the book will be available when it is ready? Uh, absolutely. That is, is there the an ETA? I am you know, really working working hard on it. it. It came to me back in November that I needed to shift this out of the memoir into this. And so I literally, today I've printed out the latest version and I'm really working at trying. I want to make sure it's, you know, something that's going to really help people. So I'm hoping I would say within the next three months that I'm, I'm going to have this out there. And it will be, um, you know, something to get the conversation started and something for people to utilize. Um, you know, immediately and, and, and begin their healing work. So, yeah, I would say uh, that'll be a good target for me, Charlie. I'll say three months. <laughs> Excellent. Um, we're going to take our final break, and then we're going to come back. So please stay with us, everyone. Uh, this is Corporate Talk with Charlie and even our very special guest, Diana Bonnie. We'll be right back. Let Charlie Labosco show you how to revolutionize your presence in the workplace. Charlie is looking to improve the workplace, and by that he means your relevance in it. Charlie has over 40 years in the corporate workplace. He has seen the unbelievable, mind-boggling, off-the-charts changes in technology, but no real change in our day-to-day -day and sometimes toxic workplace behavior. Charlie's mission is to revolutionize the workplace by providing the training and the tools needed to lead any organization regardless of your job description. For more about Charlie and how to be a part of the workplace improvement revolution, visit charliespeaking.com. That's charliespeaking.com. Welcome back to Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva on TalkZone.com. Welcome back, everyone. This is Corporate Talk with Charlie and Eva, and our guest today is Diana Bonney. And Diana is a blogger and an author, and you can find out more about Diana by going to our website at livingonthefaultlines.com. And Diana, can people sign up for your blog um, at the website? Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. There's a subscribe to me right on the on the homepage there that they can sign up for. Oh, that's perfect. And then if they want to contact you, um, what's your contact information, your email? Uh, the best email is Diana, the two N's, D-I-A-N-N-A, at livingonthefaultlines.com. That's the best oh. email for me. That's perfect. And, you know, I was thinking more about the writing and... Um, I know sometimes even with my own clients, when I suggest writing, 
people get a little like, well, what if somebody stumbles upon this writing and sees it? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've told people to do is to shred it. If they're afraid that someone's going to find it, shred it. You don't necessarily have to go back to it, but just write it out. And I think, you know, like you said, you found that to be so powerful, so much different than just talking it out is writing it out. Because when you put pen to paper, it just seems to it just seems to get a whole different dialogue going and, and things that you might not have even known were going to come out seem to come out on the page. It's it's something magical about writing and I don't know exactly what it is or how to describe it, but I think that's what you found as well. Um yeah. did you powerful. find that, that did your children write too, or was it just um talking with them that helped them? I encouraged it, but they um and I do have a, a couple of them write a bit, but it, that hasn't been a, as big of a tool as it has for me. Um, and I, it's kind of a funny thing. I have a journal on my computer, and you can password protect journals for people who are afraid that you know your people are going to find mm-hmm. it. But I actually, I, I don't know what happened, but in between writing my book and doing all this stuff, I somehow inadvertently forgot the password to my journal on my computer, and I went into Apple and I said, "Oh, well, unfortunately." you're the only one who knows the password. There's no way back in there. So if you password protect your journal, make sure you write write down your password. Um, but I think you're right. I don't think you have to go back to it. I mean, I think that just writing it and really giving yourself permission, you know, and asking yourself, how does this make me feel? It's such a potent medicine, you know, to just let those things out and, and get it. I don't know. I, I, it is magic, and I'm not really sure how it happens. And I write differently when I type versus pen, you know, to paper which is mm-hmm. an interesting thing. I go much deeper when I write by hand. So I think you have to experiment and just find what works for you so that you're getting those things out of your, you know, your field and letting them, you know, I don't know, answers come and, and crazy revelations come and you suddenly look at something that was causing you so much pain and go, wow, wait a minute, you know, this is my part in it and, and, and I don't need to be stressing about that anymore. So it, it is, it's a good way to get through things. And I also found that it was good to write it out to find out what is really bothering you and then to tap on those pieces that are really bothering you. Because sometimes you don't even know. You just have this overwhelming feeling of dread and you can't even really put a, you, you can't even get, get get your thoughts around it. And so writing really helps clarify that. And then tapping, following up the writing can really be helpful too, I found. Um, and so when it comes to, you know, let's say someone is listening and, and they're finding themselves in their situation. What would be the first place that you would kind of lead someone to start looking as to how to start their healing? Like, what would be the first thing that you found to be the most helpful in your own journey? I think for me, it was probably really learning to honor myself uh, within the experience. I think so often we, you know, we the pain is so uncomfortable that we want other people to label it or make us feel better about being there instead of just learning to really, you know, tolerate, okay, this, you know, this, this happened. And so I think for me it began with meditation, with just learning to sit with my mind and watching it go crazy and realizing that that was the nature of the mind and then, you know, combining that with writing. And for some people, you know, I don't know that I would necessarily start out with meditation for everybody because that is something that can be quite um, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But I think I generally suggest that somebody starts with a writing practice, you know, to just get to um, the, the basis of things because I think our culture is so we're either happy or we're sad. And no, nobody really has a differentiation between you know, you, you can be feeling afraid, and it might not really be fear. It might be sadness. It might be despair. It might be a lot of other things. And so learning to kind of, um, you know, tease those emotions out so that you know how you are actually feeling and what's really beneath all of that, you know, and, and what it's about, I think is super important for people. And also just a lot of what I do is just give people permission, you know, just to really um, establish a self-care practice in all of this and, and be... You know, whether it's meditation or taking a bath or going for a walk, but really trying to find things that nurture your soul. Um, a big part of my blog is nutrition, you know, eating well. You can't go through something this traumatic and be, you know, swigging back a lot of alcohol and <laughs> doing, you know, all kinds of crazy yeah. things and expecting, which I did in the beginning. I mean, it, you know, but it doesn't help. It doesn't get you anywhere. So, I mean, learning to, to nourish your brain and, and your gut and treat yourself with a lot of reverence so that you can get through something like this is, just so important and paramount. So just real basic stuff I start with and then, you know, kind of expand out from there. 
You know, I think the self-care aspect is so huge. And I think that sometimes people don't necessarily think about that as being so important, but that's really the number one priority is taking care of yourself first so that you can take care of everyone else. And when it comes, you know, it was just a thought came to me as you were talking and I was thinking about your children and it must have been really tough for them when they went back to school. And how were they able to navigate? Like, how did you help them navigate school and questions that they would get from other kids or maybe other kids didn't really talk about it? Or did they not have a problem with going back to school at all? Well, unfortunately, they did have to go back to school, and it was was brutal because it was two weeks after everything happened. And what I did was I went into the school, and I set up this, what I was telling you about, this Section 504, which basically gives children like an invisible net of of kind of if they need longer time on tests or more time on homework or if they need to leave the room. And nobody at school really says anything. I mean, quite frankly, my my kids wanted to be invisible. But one of the other things that we did was um, set up suicide Um, I went to the counseling office and said, you know, is there a suicide support group? And that was really helpful to them because they knew that there were other people. You know, suicide is not one of those things that you walk around and raise your hand and say, hey, has anybody else gone through this? I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty invisible. So having that group there kind of let them know that there were other people in the population. And I think that was very, you know, it sounds weird to say reassuring, but when you know that there's kind of, you know, a tribe out there of people who've gone through this, it made it a little bit easier to you know, navigate that. But the school piece was hard. I mean, had it happened at the beginning of summer and we had more time to acclimate, but I was trying to balance and do so many things. You know, and in hindsight, I think it was probably good because it established a um, you know, routine right away. Um, but I know it was really hard. I mean, getting up every day was tough. And there were days where you know, they just couldn't go or we had to just kind of step back and that kind of thing. So it's hard, very personal, how you, know, how you handle that piece. Well, and I think, um, you know, when your book comes out, that's going to just be a really great resource for people because there are things like the Section 504 that I'm sure people have no clue about. And how are you even going to figure that out when you're in the middle of all this grief and just trying to wade through the pieces of how to put your life back together and just get through the next 24 hours or the next week or the next month with paying bills and all the rest and who knows what all, you know, is now on your shoulders to take care of and wading through all of that. So the resources, I'm sure, going to be a great success because it's something that's so needed. Um, This has been a great conversation. Um, Yeah, very, uh, very inspiring. It's really inspiring. Um, And I just want to share, which we will share all week, Mm -hmm. livingonthefaultlines.com, because that's what you do. You go to livingonthefaultlines.com and say, okay, Diana, tell me what I should do next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so great show, Diana, great story. Uh, um, we're very proud of you and the work you've done with your family and um, just want to stay in touch to admire your future success as well. Aww, well, thank you. I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was such a pleasure meeting you, and I'm glad we were able to reconnect, and you know, hopefully it will be helpful to your listeners. And if I can help in any way, I am here. Excellent. Thanks. That's great. Thank you so much, Diana. Have a great night. Yep. All right. Okay. Take thanks. care. Yeah, it was a it was a really good show. I mean, it, it's just amazing that Diana was able to open up those lines of communication and share her pain and give everyone some insight into it. I mean, that takes a lot of courage. I really, really would brave. like to see read that book when it comes out, mm-hmm. um, and I would like to uh, stay in Diana's loop because there's a lot to admire. There is a lot to admire. I mean, it's it's not an easy conversation to have, and it it definitely. It helps the people that are going through it, but it also helps the people that are there to support you yep. in these types of crises, right? I mean, it can be difficult to even know what to say or how to how to help. Very so complicated. So that's going to be, um, it's a really great resource, and we really thank her for putting that on, yes. out there. So the website, again, is livingonthefaultlines.com, and it's um, Diana Bonnie, and you can also find her out there on Facebook as well. Excellent, great show. It was a great I show. I want to thank our wonderful producer, Dave Olson. Thank and you, Dave. we will be back next week. Yes, we will. Excellent. So have a great week, everyone. Good night. <laughs>